Welcome to the City on a Hill Church Brighton podcast. We exist to help people love, trust, and follow Jesus in everyday life. We're glad you're here, and thanks for listening. More information on the life and mission of City on a Hill Church can be found at coabrighton.org. That's C-O-A-H-Brighton.org. Well, good morning, church. It's good to see you. My name is Aaron. Get to be the pastor of our church. And if this is your first time, you're like, bro, I, what are we even reading today? It feels like a Jerry Springer episode right there in Genesis 16. And what I love about this passage is that it gives us a warning and a hope, guys. And as we just read a really complicated family situations, we can all admit, is family not complicated? And today we see a really complicated story with a married couple and they're struggling to conceive a child and they go on their own way to try to figure, <clears throat> how to figure out how to do that. And it's challenging for them. And so even though it feels Jerry Springer, God can redeem it and God can be in the midst of it. If you haven't seen Jerry Springer, I don't recommend it, but it's where you just bring all your family situation and you just air it out on national television. Not a great strategy to do in my opinion, but you know, here we are. So guys, we're jumping into today's passage and I want you to see something beautiful that we have been seeing and we just keep going deeper into it. If you've been with us for the past couple of weeks, you know we've been studying Genesis and we're looking at how God is faithful to us even when we are unfaithful to him. And for a lot of the time, we've studied the story from the perspective of Abram. We've looked at his challenge that God promised a son to him and that through this son would eventually come the line where we end up with Jesus, the Messiah. And so Abram's been given this promise, but he struggles to trust God's promise. And so for the past couple of weeks, we've watched his heart struggle and what he's done in the midst of battling his doubts and his struggle with trusting God, which we all struggle at times to trust God. Well, what I love about the Bible is that it doesn't just give Abram's struggle here. It gives his wife's, Sarai. And so today is her perspective, her struggle with trusting God's faithfulness. And in the midst of all of it, what I'm hoping that you see today, that even when you are unfaithful to God, he is still very much faithful to you. So whatever struggle you're facing with your family, with yourself, with challenges in your life, I want you to see how God navigates this really hard situation. And I think there's a lot in this passage for us. You guys ready to dive in? Episode 405, Jerry Springer, here we go. Verse one, it says this. Now Sarai, which is Abram's wife, had borne him no children. And at this point, we're learning that this is really the pain point of Abram and Sarai's story. We don't know biologically what's exactly going on with his body or her body, but they're unable to have children. And it makes it more complicated that Sarai is in her mid-70s. And Abraham's not a young spry either. That dude's in his late 80s. They want to start a family, but they're unable to biologically. And so they've tried to for years, especially in their prime parenting years. But infertility really has met them at every turn of their life. And probably in the moments where they finally gave up thinking they could, have children in Genesis chapter 12 and promised them a child. After they've been battling this with decades and decades of hurt in their heart, 
God comes along and gives this promise. Well, as you're going to learn in the moment, it's been 10 years since God first gave this promise to them. And guys, 10 years is a long time to wait on a promise. Uh, Ladies, just let me ask you a question. If you were engaged for 10 years, how'd you feel about that? Right? And that'd be like awkward if you're waiting for 10 years for this promise we're going to get married. And that'd be really tough. Uh, What if college students, you get an acceptance letter and be like, you're accepted to Boston College in 10 years. Be tough to wait. Employers, you're going to get paid in 10 years, right? It'd be terrible. Imagine having this hope and this desire for children, but they've had to wait for 10 painful years after they've been already waiting for a child. So understandably, Sarai's upset and Abram's discouraged. God promised them this child but it hasn't happened yet. And now they're well past childbearing years. Like if you think it's gross to think your mom and dad kiss, imagine a 70 year old and 80 year old trying to have a child. Not trying to be weird, but here we are, right? They feel that all hope in God's promise to have a child is lost. They're struggling here. Now, if we're honest, guys, Sarah and Abram are facing a deeper issue that we actually all face as Christians, where you have a godly desire in your heart, but that desire is not becoming a reality in your life. Have we all faced that, Christian? You faced that? Got a godly, good desire in your heart for her, it's a child, but it's not becoming a reality in your life. And some of you experience that. Maybe right now, like you want to be married, but you're not. You want a happier marriage if you're married, but you don't. You want work and school to be less stressful, but it's not. You want to own a home? You can't because we're in Boston. It's the zillion dollars. You have a good godly desire in your heart, but it's not becoming a reality in your life. And Christian, you're inevitably going to be in this spot one day, like Sarai and Abram. You got a good desire, but it's not happening in your life. And so what do we do in that moment? And here's the first thing I want to share with you. We're to trust God's plan and not to rush his hand. I know that's cutesy and cliche, but it's good. I'm not gonna lie to you, it's good, okay? We're to trust God's plan and not try to rush God's hand. We're to trust that God is good and he actually knows what's best, including, Christian, his timing in your life. That's the key of this whole entire story that's challenging. A promise was given, but the timing wasn't how Sarai and Abram wanted it to be. And so rather than trusting God's plan, they try to rush God's hand and they take matters in their own capacity and it harms so much going on. Guys, but you can imagine how hard this is really for Sarah and Abram. Like God promised them a child 10 years ago that they would finally get a son. And have we seen in the past couple weeks, what happens when you forget the promises of God in your life? What happens? When you forget the promises of God in your life, you forgo the peace of God in your heart. And as a Christian, we are to remember and recount God's promises in the scriptures. What he has said to you are true. And one of the biggest promises we've talked about, Christian, is Romans 8, 28. We know that in all things, God promises to work out everything for your good. Verse 29 tells us that that good is making us more like Jesus. And in him, we find our joy and our hope and our security and our peace. And so Christian, the biggest promise for you to hold on to is when life is hard, it's challenging, things are not working out. 
you trust that God's gonna work that through his sovereign hands and make it work out for good for you. And that's what's so hard for us. When we forget God's promise, we forgo God's peace in our heart because we think he's not in control or that he's not good. And so therefore we take it in our own hands and it goes chaos. We make poor decisions, we hurt ourselves, we hurt others. And that's exactly what happens with Sarai. So what happens? So Sarai cooks up an idea in her mind. She looks over and she has a female Egyptian servant whose name is Hagar, verse one tells us, which is interesting because apparently Sarai added to their family in Genesis chapter 12, Hagar, when they were in Egypt, she was an Egyptian servant. And so apparently she sort of joined the entourage of Abraham and his massive family, sort of joined them when they were going through Egypt, since Hagar indeed is an Egyptian servant. A servant though, that Sarai didn't need and shouldn't have had because her servitude was more treated like slavery, as we'll see later and how Sarai treated her. It's interesting where we go to when we get desperate. It's what happens when we want something in our life so much though that we start making poor decisions and we start using people to get what we want rather than using what we have to love people in our life. And that's where we find Sarai. Rather than loving people, she starts using people And Christian, that's what happens to us at times. When our desires go astray in our hearts, we're willing to fight our spouse, our kids, someone in your community group, start getting bitter at people. When they feel like, when you feel like they are in your way, you start using people and manipulating people and harming people with your words. You withhold, you become silent treatment. You might act out in harm. When you don't feel like you get what your heart wants, we're willing to act out harshly towards others. And that's what we see happen with Sarai. We learn something interesting about her heart that happens with our hearts. Sarai felt a void in her heart, children. So she tried to fill it by adding something to her life, servitude. Listen, this is key and we do the same thing. Sarai didn't feel that God was caring or serving her. So she replaced God and got someone who would care and serve for her. Do you see how that happens? What happens when you don't feel like your spouse is serving you well? What do you do? When you feel like your boss who should be caring for your needs or supplying resources at work is not doing their job and caring for you, how do you treat them? What happens in your heart? The same thing that happened with Sarah happens in us. When you don't feel like you're being loved or served, you're going to start demanding it or manipulating people for it. And that's what happens with Sarah. It's what happens with me. It's what happens with us. It's what's going on in our hearts. And so we need someone to help us to see how we really are loved, how we are not forgotten, how we are being served by God. But if you forget that, then you'll treat every relationship as the one that should love you and serve you and do everything for you because you've forgotten the love and grace of our King Jesus who loves and serves us, amen? Sarai is replacing the creator for creation. Guys, we do this all the time. Just doesn't happen in relationships. We think if we can have enough money, then it will give us security that only God can bring. 
In romantic relationships, we think that they will give us the love that only God can bring. We think our jobs, our school, will bring us the significance and value to our life that only God can bring. Guys, when we feel a void in our hearts, we often try to get creation rather than the creator to satisfy us. And guys, it only ends up harming ourselves and others. And my, my goal today is not to blast Sarai because I could just write my whole narrative here and say, I've done the same thing in my marriages and with my friendships. And I've done that at times with maybe people in our church where I've been unkind or I've been negligent in in an area of care. I didn't reach out like I was supposed to because I was maybe worried about me because I wasn't thinking that God was serving me or caring for me or leading me or sovereign over my life. So friend, where do you struggle with that? Where have you forgotten today that God is good towards you He has a promise for you. He's serving us by sovereignly orchestrating all things to work. Where have you forgotten that in your life? Verse two. So Sarai said to Abram, this is her plan. She says, behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. And guys, you can almost feel the hurt and sadness in her voice, can't you? The Lord God prevented me. And let's be honest, guys. Have you ever honestly felt that way? That like you had this good desire in your heart, but God refused it for you? He felt like God was holding out on you, preventing you from some good desire you had in your heart? Guys, you're not alone here. That's exactly how Sarai feels. God, you are holding out on me. But what I find really interesting here is that Sarai calls God her Lord in this verse. Do you know what that means? When someone calls God Lord, it means, God, I trust that you are in control. You are lording over my life. And God's a benevolent Lord. He's not your landlord. He's a better Lord. Doesn't jack up rent to you all the time. No offense, landlords, if you're in the room. It's not my goal, but I get inflation, but you know, here we are. But Lord means that you trust that he's in control, lovingly guiding your life. She doesn't struggle though that God is Lord of her life. She's not struggling whether God's in control. She struggles with if God is good. And that's what you hear in her voice. She's forgotten in Genesis 12, a promise. God said, I will give you a son. And then she says, God's preventing me. He won't give me what I want. She's broken. She is so discouraged. And guys, many of us struggle right here as well. As Christians, we believe, guys, that God has all the power in the world to help us. Christians, we often get that right. You know that God is supremely ruling and reigning. He created the universe, every molecule, every solar system, everything. He created everything. We, we know he has all the power in the world to help us. But sometimes we feel like God doesn't want to use that power to help us. You feel like he used that power to block you from what you really want. Singles, this could be for you. You've, you feel like you want a future spouse and you know God could bring along the right one to you, but you feel like he won't. And so you feel, verse one, the Lord is preventing me. Marrieds, you know that maybe God could heal your marriage. He could help you with your children and you feel like he just won't. And you feel the Lord is preventing me. Guys, Emily and I have felt this very way. 
Emily and I are unable to have biological children, just like Sarah and Abram. And God could heal our bodies, but he hasn't. And guys, that's a really tough place to be for us. And whatever circumstance you're feeling, if you feel that God is preventing you from a good desire you have in your heart, it's a hard place to be. And so maybe you feel that way about a challenge with your own body. Like God could heal you, but he hasn't yet. It's in that exact place that we are called to trust God's plan, whatever it may be, rather than to try to rush God's hand, amen? And guys, that's what we see next. Sarai tries to rush God's timing and she comes up with her own strategy to get her heart's desire. And guys, to be frank with you, it's pretty jacked up. And it's the same thing that we do with our hearts. When we don't get what we want, man, we start manipulating, we start putting up strategies, we start doing weird stuff in our lives and relationships. All of us do it. And Sarai does as well. So Sarai says to Abram, she says, hey, Abram, take Hagar and go into my servant. Be intimately with her. And so that maybe, she thinks, that I shall obtain children by her. What's interesting about this is that she's like, hey, can you just use her? Like, I don't really care how Hagar feels about this, Abram, but would you just go and use this woman sexually? And then when she has a child, I'm just going to take it from her. I'm not giving her an option. I'm the master here. I'm just going to take. And guys, that's what we do when we feel like we're not getting what we want. We start taking. We start getting bitter, nagging with our spouse, our roommates. We start getting bitter with our children. We start getting snappy with people. We start taking, 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 taking. And rather than using our resources to love other people, we start using other people to get resources. That's what's happening with Sarah's heart. It's what happens with my heart. It's what happens with your heart. And guys, what breaks my heart in all of this is that Abram, it says, verse two, Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. Guys, just a note here about listening. Church, you really gotta be mindful, Christian, whose voice you listen to. I'm not saying you shouldn't listen to your spouse. In fact, you should listen to your spouse. But Abram listened to the voice of Sarai rather than listen to the voice of the Lord. God just promised him moments before this in Genesis 15, you're gonna have a child. Remember the carcass aisle we talked about last week and how God made him this promise and said, I'm gonna give you a child. God just promised him this. And Abram in that moment, because he was doubting God's faithfulness and God's promise, he listened to the voice of Sarah rather than listening to the voice of the Lord. Church, you have got and I have got to listen to the words of God rather than the words of others. Guys, when you hear talk about politics, gender, sexuality, religion, economics, you name it. When you hear talk, you can't just listen to others unfiltered because that's what culture listens to or practices. We've got to listen to the words of God over the words of others. And if they contradict each other, we've got to go with what God's word has to say. Not because we're stupid, because that's wise. Because God is the one who made us and knows the blueprint for our flourishing. So guys, when culture's talking about sexuality, gender, abortion, race, politics, Christian, what are we thinking about when we hear that language? when we hear topics 
unborn, race, what's right, what's wrong in culture. Should we let children choose their gender? Topics that are challenging for us. Do we go to God's word or do we just say, oh yeah, that seems to make sense. It follows my party's political views. I'll go in that path. Guys, what we see with Abram is that he has lost sight of God's word. And when you lose salt of God's word, you lose sight of it. You lose sight of everything else. And guys, our church, if we're anything, we're trying to be just people of the book. And guys, it's a hard thing to do in Boston. It's a hard thing to do as your pastor. But if I want to faithfully love you and you want to faithfully experience the goodness that God created you for, we've got to walk his ways, amen? And guys, that won't make us a popular church. My goal is not to hate or be unkind or be unloving towards any of my neighbors that disagree with me. But the most loving thing I do is to take God's word, which is God's love towards us, and share it with our friends and neighbors, even if it's against the grain. Does that make sense? So even if you're new at our church, I'm always going to preach God's word and try to interpret it as scripture's always been interpreted. And if that's something that's difficult, would you please hang in there? And would you let's unpack what God's word really has to say? Because maybe it's better than what culture maybe has to offer. We don't see Abram and Sarah do this. And it hurts them. And so church is a great reminder for us that we've got to, it's cheesy, hear me out. I just taught at a student ministry event all weekend. So I got some cheesy things to say. Just, just hear me out. Guys, we do have to read God's word. We've got to heed God's word. And you've got to feed God's word to other people in this church. That's real cheesy, I get it. Read it, you heed it, you obey it, and then you speak that to others in our church. I think Sarai knew what was true and right, but the counsel from her words were the opposite. Christian, when you talk with people in your community group, are you giving them God's word or just your opinions and advice? We need to give the good news before good advice at our church. The good news of what God has done for you, how he's sovereign over you, how we give the promises of God, we give, we give the words of God over just the words of whatever you think. We give the good news before good advice. And church, we've got to be about this. We can't just let our emotions speak out about whatever we want to talk about. We've got to let God's word come from us. Verse three, so after Abram, after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband as a wife. And he went into Hagar and she conceived. And guys, this is chaos. This text tells us that Abram and Sarai moved 10 years ago to the land in which they now live. It was 10 years ago that God gave the first promise of a child in Genesis 12. And 10 years is a long time. They're tired of waiting. They've struggled to believe God will fulfill his promise and they act out of fear rather than faith. Rather than leaving it in God's hands. Guys, we do this a lot. When we're fearful about what our life is gonna be like, we act out of that fear rather than out of faith. And we do this a lot with money, a lot with money. And so when we're fearful about the future, we're trying to buy a house or 
trying to figure out how to pay something off. We become fearful with our finances and then we start fighting with our spouse about how much money we can or cannot spend. Whether I can move to this apartment or that apartment or whether you can buy this thing or not buy this thing because that resource of money becomes your security. And if your spouse is like, no, let's go spend every, by the way, if you're married or roommates, like every household, roommate or married, you've got a spender and you've got a saver. And somehow they always find each other in marriage. And that's a huge tension point because we view our resources often differently. Guys, we've got to act out of faith with our resources and not fear. God is secure over our future and what happens, not your money. You can't let it be the Lord of your life. Let him be. But guys, more than anything, than them just taking the situation in their own hands, what really bothers me, just to be real honest with you, don't judge me to you, but I'm really bothered with Abram's response. He's just passive about this entire thing. God has spoken for like four chapters to this dude. You're gonna have a child. 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 Sarah's like, hey, go have intimate relations with my servant. He's like, okay. Just goes and does it. Like, what are you doing, bro? Also, my heart does the same thing too. Abram has been reminded of God's promise over and over. And here's what we see Abram being active at work. He goes and fights off wars against kings to get Lot and some land back. We see him being active at work when there's a disagreement about his land. Abram's active at work, but he's passive at home. He's not loving or leading his family well here at all. And so husbands, my goal is not to condemn you today, but this is a warning and encouragement to you. Husbands, we've got to be active in caring for our family at home and active in caring for the details of your work and your job. And if you got to pick one, Pick your family. Your job can get another employee. They might not even bat an eye if you left. But your family only has one of you, husbands. You can't just be active at work and passive at home. When your wife's struggling, your kid's struggling, that's the place God called you to love and lead your family. And that's what's irritating about Abram because I think I see something in my own heart I'm irritated with. I'll bust my tail for this church. My kids want to play with me sometimes. Nah, I'm tired. Daddy's tired. And what at times I, I choose work over my family. And God has called me to love and lead my family most. So I'm irritated with Abram because I'm irritated with myself at times. Because often at times I find my security in my job, my significance in what I do. And that ends up hurting your family. This is not just for you men, women. This could be the same thing for you. Same thing with Relationships. Guys, let's not just be active at work, making everything about 60, 70 hours, making a lot of money. Are you investing your time in the right places for God's glory? Verse four. And when Sarai saw that Hagar had conceived, Hagar then looked with contempt on her mistress. Finally, she feels like she's got the upper hand in the world. This girl has been a servant her entire life. She finally has got something Something she feels like she can take pride in. I have something to give the world. 
I've got this child. She finally looks over at Sarai. She's like, you haven't been treating me well at all. You made me have sex with your husband and I have this child and I can do something finally that you can't do. And she feels this freedom, but you're gonna learn that she's, I can get some care now in my life too because I'm a servant girl and apparently my family sold me to slavery. It's a really gruesome thing to think about. And so Hagar feels sort of puffed up in this moment, but she also feels this sin raging in her as well. So Sarah doesn't like the look. This is, by the way, girls, if you feel like, man, like, you feel like other girls look at you catty, man, it started a long time ago, long time ago. She gave me that look. That's what happened here. Hagar looked on contempt with her mistress. And of course, Abram's just clueless to the whole thing. Verse five, Sarai said to Abram, may the wrong done to me be on you. Ooh. It's getting ugly. I gave my servant to your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. Sarah is mad. And now she's taking it out on Abram. She's like, may the wrong be done to me be on you. Now listen, if that was my marriage, I'd be like, woman, you told me. And then we'd just be in a huge fight. Because like, that was your idea. And it just gets chaos. A minute ago, she was blaming God, wasn't she? God, you prevented me. And now what's she doing? She's blaming Abram. Here's the principle we see at play here. When you are bitter, you are tempted to blame. When you are bitter about something, it's everyone else's fault. You see, in, in this, if you're honest, you can see this in yourself as well. If you're single and you want to be married, sometimes it sounds like this. All the guys out there, they're just dumb. They can't handle a girl like me. So you blame others. Or maybe you blame yourself. And if I looked like this, or if I acted like this, or if I had not done that, then maybe I could have a spouse now, or maybe our marriage could be better. And so you blame yourself. Or maybe you're reigning and ruling over it and working things out for your good. You will start blaming rather than praying for God's help. And church, when you want to blame in bitterness, would you start praying rather than blaming? Would you pray? God, to be patient in my struggles. God, would you show me like whatever purpose you have going on in the situation, would you show me? And I said last week, when you feel that God is holding out on you, would you be reminded that maybe he's holding out something for you that's even better than what you wanted in the first place? If you feel like God is holding out on you, maybe he is, but he's holding out something better for you. If you would wait on his timing, trust in his plan and follow his word, and trust that he promises to work out all of those things for good. Because unfortunately, Sarai, nor Abram do this. In verse six, Abram says to Sarai in her bitterness, he says, well, behold, the servant's in your power. Don't blame me. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with Hagar and Hagar fled from her. So we see now Sarah has acted out in verbal or maybe physical harm towards Hagar. Sarah's hurt, 
Abram's hurt, Hagar's hurt, because they struggled to remember God's promises and trusting what he said. And what I love about God is this is when we see him enter. When things get ugliest, our mistakes are massive. God enters in with his love and grace. And Christian, I don't know where you find yourself today. You feel like because of what you've done, what you've said, where you've been, you are not so far from God's love and forgiveness that he cannot work far that God can't come after you. And this is exactly where we see God enter. Hagar has been used, abused, and harmed, and God meets her there. We see that Sarah has acted in violence and harm, and we're going to see God meet her there in a week or two. Guys, unfortunately, what we see in Sarah's hearts, what we see in our hearts, when we love something more than what we love in God, we won't be able to love others the way that God loves us. Sarai's desire for children became ultimate to her. And so ultimately, it led her to harming her relationship with God, Abram, and Hagar. The idol of her heart, children, took over her life. A good thing, listen, a good thing became a God thing. And she worshiped it. She sacrificed to it. She followed it wherever her desires led her. And when a good thing becomes a God thing, you'll do anything it takes to get that thing. And that's what idolatry is in our hearts. When something captures your thoughts, your emotions, your desires more than God, you're willing to trade the creator for the creation. And so here's the turn in this story. When things get worse, it's when God enters in. Verse seven. In the wilderness. May you think God can't reach you where you're at and what you've done? Girl has ran from her home. She's in the wilderness, alone, pregnant, and beat up. And she finds herself at the spring on the way to Shur, verse eight. And the angel of the Lord said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? And she said, I am fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. I love this. God runs after Hagar, even in her sin with Abram, even in her mistreatment from Sarai. God finds her alone in the wilderness next to a well after a sexual scandal. Who does this remind you of? Is this not what Jesus did in John chapter four? Met a woman who had been used and abused in relationships in and out, has to go and draw water in the middle of the day, in the heat of the day, neglected her social tribe, won't even talk to her, spend time with her. And who meets her there? Jesus does. Guys, this angel of the Lord, who is he? Some scholars believe that this, that word angel, if you have a study Bible, you might see a note next to it that the word angel means messenger. So very much this is possible that this is a pre-incarnate, a Christophany is what they call it, a pre-incarnate before Jesus took on flesh. This could be Jesus. And the author is just like, I don't know what to make of this because it's not a human shape and it's not exactly an angel. It's an angel of the Lord. And so is this Jesus? 
in the Old Testament that the term the angel of the Lord is used about 47 times and an angel of the Lord is used 11 times, but we never see this phrase ever again in the New Testament. So it could be God himself or it could be that God is simply using this angelic being to speak his truth to regardless of it is God's presence coming to Hagar. Christian, there is no place that you can go to outrun God's love for you. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, you are not too far for God to reach out and bring his word to you. God meets her where she's at, but he doesn't leave her where she's at. God seeks to transform her. Verse nine, then the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. Now that sounds really hard. Wasn't she just mistreated? Like, wasn't she just abused? Like what's, what's exactly going on here? Well, interestingly enough, Hagar is actually sent back for her safety. Hagar is a young woman, which is a bit odd to think that she could be in her 20s and 30s and she just had relations with Abram, which is in his 80s. She's young, she's alone, she's pregnant and she's in dangerous territory because she's around the nations of people that hated God's people. They're all around her now. In fact, guys, she's actually on her way back to Egypt. That's where you find yourself. You pull up a map of where she's on her way. She's on her way back to Egypt. She's going to what's comfortable. And how often do we, is that's what we run to when we're struggling? We run to whatever comforts us. And that's where she's going. She's trying to run back to Egypt where she was actually in slavery there. Sometimes where we run to for comfort is not what's gonna comfort us. We see that with her. So she's running back to Egypt and everyone in Egypt also knows, guys, that the scene that happened with Abram and Sarai in Egypt and how Abram lied about Sarai being his wife and how they didn't go well in Egypt, well, they're all gonna mistreat Hagar when she gets back. So interestingly enough, God is actually sending her back for safety because God also knows that God can transform hearts and he's gonna start transforming Sarai's heart and start working towards reconciliation in their relationship. Guys, even if you have conflict with your spouse, with your roommate, Nothing is too far from God to be able to heal. Give God time and space to work in your heart and the person you're trying to reconcile and ask God to keep working in their hearts. So God sends Hagar back, not to be harmed, but to reconcile and to watch a transforming work begin to happen in their life. So she indeed will go back. Verse 10, so the angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring Hagar, you feel like you have nothing in this life? You felt neglected all your life? I'm gonna bring this child that now no one wants. And I'm gonna bring him into this world and I'm gonna multiply his number. Can I just take a pause? This is not gonna be a favorite moment in the sermon. Just wanna give a moment here. Abram doesn't want this child. I is angry and doesn't want this child. Hagar has this child in the middle of the woods. She's got no support. She's in the wilderness. And who sees the life of this child in the womb? God does. And through this unborn child, God gives a promise for future generations to Hagar. Guys, it's not popular for me to say this in our church, but God does indeed care for the unborn. No matter what the situation was for the mother, and this was a terrible situation, and rather than terminating the life of this child, 
God blesses this mother and blesses this child, no matter what the circumstances were for this child to come to be. That's not a popular statement to say, but it just shows how loving and gracious God is to the mother, to the child, that God wants to work out justice and he will, and also forgiveness. That everyone at play here, every life is valuable to God. Verse 11, then the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you are pregnant and you will bear this son, Ishmael. And I love what this name means because it means that the Lord has listened in your affliction. And that's so comforting to know that God saw every ounce of this scene play out. He has seen Hagar from the very, very beginning of her life and how she ended up in slavery. And then she's taken from her homeland. She's brought to this couple and she's forced to have a child. Now she's in the wilderness after being beat. And God has listened to her affliction. Christian, that is good news. No matter what you've been through growing up, no matter what you're going through now, God has seen and heard what you've been through and promises to work good in that place. We see that God is really the hero of this story. He can take a mess and turn it into a miracle. And that's what we see him do. But we also learn because of the family conflict in verse 12 that it's gonna be pretty tough for this young boy. Verse 12, it says that this young boy, he'll grow up and be a wild donkey of a man. His hand's gonna be against everyone and everyone's hand's gonna be against him. And he shall dwell over against all his kingsmen. This isn't really a good prophecy here. But it kind of shows you what's going on is that imagine growing up, Ishmael growing up in this family with all this chaos. Guys, the sins that we bring into our family often get passed on to our kids. Some of you need to be the generational stop of the sin that's been passing through your family. Your anger, alcoholism, drug use, money spending, how you speak to your spouse, that's got to stop with you. The transforming power of God that's in you, Christian, it's got to stop with you. And if not, it carries on through your children. That's exactly what we see Hagar with. Interesting, by the way, may show you that it was actually God because it said that she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. So she thinks it's God. You are a God of seeing. For she said, truly, here I have seen him who looks after me. My friends, this is the gospel. This is the gospel that God comes to you in the wilderness of the worst part of your darkest day of sin. And rather than seeing you and giving you wrath and punishment because of that, he sends Jesus in eye level to look out at all sin and take it on himself so that you can be forgiven, freed, and loved in him. And we see that just as God came to Hagar, God comes to us. Jesus, fully God, fully man, seeing our sin, came to rescue us on the cross, takes each and every one of your darkest days, your worst sins, put it on himself so that you would not feel the shame of it, but you would feel his love and forgiveness and his blessing. Christian, God takes sin incredibly seriously, so much so that he would take his son's life because that's what it cost for forgiveness. God either extends his justice on you or gives it onto his son. 
And my friends, this is the offer of forgiveness God has given to all of our sin, not just Sarai's and Hagar's and Abram's, but yours as well. God is a seeing God. He's seen everything that you've done, but he takes that sin and he puts it on himself. Christian, would you be encouraged by that? Be encouraged that God sees what you're going through, sees the hurt, sees the harm. If you've been mistreated, he sees that and he'll work through and he'll use it. And he will not make that last forever in your life, just like Hagar. But non-Christian friend, I'm so glad you're here. Would you hear no matter what you've done, God loves you enough to take that sin on himself. He sees that sin, but died for that sin so you wouldn't have to. And he gives you new life and forgiveness in him. Today, would you trust in this God, the all-seeing God who has come to us, Take a moment to pray. 